If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode 101 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Katie Hill, Associate Director of DIA Learning at DIA, the Drug Information Association. As always, though, before we turn to the interview, we want to thank your membership, the podcast sponsor for the third quarter of 2017. Your membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location, while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. For our resource for this episode, we are once again highlighting the Tagoras Platform Directory for Learning Businesses because we want to be sure that folks know about this resource. As some listeners may know, we have for many years published a report on association learning management systems. We retired that report last year, and we've now introduced the platform directory as the new way that we're providing information for organizations seeking to find and implement a learning technology platform. This is a free resource that profiles 30 different companies that are a good fit for trade and professional associations, as well as other learning businesses. You can access the directory by going to tagoras.com slash learning hyphen platforms. And we'll also have a link to the directory in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com slash episode 101. Definitely do check out the directory and let others at your organization know about it. It's very high value. And of course, it is free. But more importantly, at this very minute, you definitely want to stick around for our interview with Katie Hill. Salisa, I know that at least some of your focus in talking with Katie was on her efforts to revitalize, to really breathe some new life into DIA's e-learning efforts. Can you tell us a bit more about what you'll be talking about with Katie? Yes, Katie and I cover a range of topics, uh, including what DIA is doing differently with learning. So DIA has spent the last few years revamping their core curricula, and they've branched out into B2B sales, and that has led to the need for business development roles and account manager roles. And while they've made a lot of changes already, more are in store. So we talked about what DIA is starting to do with quick and dirty learning, so ways to keep the costs and timeline down for online learning. And we also talk some about the plans that they have for badging, because they're going to be piloting digital badges next year uh, with a longer-term vision of creating stackable credentials. They're also working on a subscription model um, to bundle uh, up learning, particularly micro-learning for individual learners. Um, so a lot's going on, and Katie is very hands-on with, with all that's in the works and all that's happening, um, and she knows the ins and outs very well, but she also has a really clear, big-picture vision of what DIA is doing with learning. So this is clearly a really action-packed episode. You've mentioned business-to-business sales, subscriptions, micro-learning, digital badging. I mean, these are all top-of-mind topics, I know, for many, many leading learning listeners. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview with Katie Hill. Hello. 
lifelong learners and leaders of learning. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today, I'm excited to be joined by Katie Hill. Katie serves as Associate Director of DIA Learning at DIA, the Drug Information Association, which serves all involved in healthcare product development and life cycle management. Katie is responsible for the DIA Global Learning Strategy that really drives the development and dissemination of curriculum for the global learning portfolio. So Katie, thanks for making time for the Leading Learning Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. And since I offered a pretty brief introduction um, there, would you start off by saying a little bit more about DIA, you know, whom it is that you serve and, and how you serve them? Sure. So DIA serves, um, as you mentioned, a diverse group um, of individuals who are involved in healthcare product development. It includes people from academia, industry, regulatory agencies, and patient groups. Um, We bring them all together in a a neutral forum to exchange information and knowledge um, through our conferences and training, um, as well as our communities and publications um, with the goal of um, advancing scientific and medical innovation. Well, great. And and so one thing that I'm particularly interested in is is how DIA thinks about its role as an education provider. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on where learning and education fit in with DIA's overarching mission and, and vision. Yeah, I would say it's, it's definitely one of our um, key pieces of our mission um, is that through education um, is, is one of the the main ways that we connect all those um, stakeholders that I just mentioned together um, to exchange that information and hopefully bring healthcare product um, products to the market quicker um, and safer and more effectively um, for patients. Um, so I would say education is actually one of the key ways that, that we accomplish that. All right. So education front and center in, in what DIA does. And so, so maybe talk a little bit about the kind of learning that, that you offer currently. And then um, if you feel led, maybe talk about some of your ideas and plans for where you want to go with learning and education in, in the future. Sure. So um, DIA, we, we offer, so because we do cover such a broad range of individuals um, who work in the industry, um, which actually makes us somewhat unique, is that we're multidisciplinary. Um, we do offer a, a lot of different curricula. Um, so we have courses um, and conferences in the area of safety and pharmacovigilance, regulatory affairs, clinical research and operations, and medical affairs. Um, And then within, you know, all of those areas, um, we offer learning formats that range from, you know, your traditional face-to-face learning as well as online learning um, and then blended learning, which we are doing more of um, and trying to be very strategic um, about um, the pieces of learning that we develop in a face-to-face, knowing that um, it's getting more and more difficult for people to be out of the office uh, for any extended period of time. So we're trying to be creative uh, with pre-work and post-work to create some blended learning offerings for people. And so I know from talking with you um, before this this interview that one of the things you've done in, in relatively recent history is, is kind of move away from um, a, a focus or, or certainly a, a, a solitary focus on selling learning to individual members, and you've moved more towards the, the B2B sales. So would you talk a little bit about what pushed you in the direction of, of the B2B sales and, and how that switch in focus has has played out so far? Uh, sure, yeah. So we have 
we saw the opportunity um, to expand our reach beyond your traditional individual enrollments um, in education to really reach out to companies um, and work with them directly um, in a couple different ways. Specifically in learning, um, we have uh, several training solutions that we started to offer um, more for that B2B model, which um, includes customizing our courses um, to meet the unique needs of that company. So it might be process-based or procedures that are unique to them. Um, and then so we modify our courses to make sure that they fit their needs, and then we deliver them on-site at their location um, just for their employees. Um, we've also really... Um, build a program around um, group purchases of our online learning courses. Um, we had a lot of individual members buying our um, online courses, but then um, we were hearing from companies that it was it would be valuable for them to have consistent training for a whole team or a whole function within their company um, and to have that same baseline training uh, across all. So we've been working with companies now to um, do either group purchases or, or, or multiple registrations in larger chunks, um, and we push it out to the whole group at the same time, um, which the companies have found very valuable. Um, and then we've also um, started really working with companies. You know, we started with the customizing courses first, um, and then the group purchases of online courses. And then now what we're seeing is because there's so many options, um, we're now working with companies to create custom curriculum that are that's just directed at the at the needs of their team, department, um, a whole function within a company, um, and we can design our learning and customize it to their needs. Um, and again, this could be a face-to-face -face course, or it could be a mix of online learning or blended learning. Um, so we're doing all of that. But, but what it has meant for us internally in terms of staff and, and our internal um, staffing model is that it really was a mind shift. We, we realized once we started working with companies that we needed a business development function that would proactively be seeking these strategic partnerships with companies um, and help, you know, educate them on, on the type of DI learning that we could help them with. Um, and then, you know, over time, of course, as you start developing these relationships, we work with these companies now year after year once we have an established relationship. Um, so what we're finding is now we almost need an account management function. So mm. we've started to do that internally. So the business development function is really key to, to seeking the new opportunities and establishing a really solid foundation with the company. Um, and then, but then over time, as you work with that company, you need to really make sure that you have some kind of account management, ongoing support, um, you know, year to year um, and consistent um, so that it can help the relationship grow um, as the company's needs change. So we, we are um, we're working on both those areas. We have built up internal expertise in those areas and um, actually have increased our staffing count um, to specifically address those needs. Well, that that's great. I mean, I think obviously the the business development function, you know, makes sense that if you're going to make those B two B sales, to to have the folks out there doing it. But and then it's great to have that realization that you also need the the account management to keep that relationship going. It, did you also have to sort of bulk up in the instructional design and course uh, developer curriculum developer front as well as you're branching out into doing more customized work? Definitely, um, yeah, and and also instructional design, but also really 
becoming more and much more heavily involved from an from a needs analysis point of view with companies. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, sometimes they come to us with, a, "I want this course," which is fine if they have if they realize that that's their specific need. Um, but many times they don't. Many times they're just coming to us with a business problem they're looking for us to solve. Mm. Um, sometimes it's a compliance issue or they need compliance training to stay um, in compliance with regulatory authorities. Um, sometimes it's, you know, we want to improve the way we function as a team or as a group um, and, you know, need better training and processes and procedures. Um, so we've, we've really um, built up some expertise internally to help companies work through that needs analysis and sort of gap analysis to determine um, how we can help them fill that need and then design. And, and, and this is actually what has led to, to us actually creating custom curricula for companies. Um, you know, it, it might not just be a one-off course. Now it's a series of courses and some online training in between. Um, and so it's a much more longer-term um, training engagement with that company um, So we have built up instructional design expertise, um, as well as that um, our account managers are are pretty well-versed in instructional design as well. So usually we we find a really good fit internally and help them um, to sort of develop the courses that they need or the curriculum that they need. And then that account manager um, sort of helps them morph as they're, needs change over a year or two and they have a curriculum, you know, how can we modify it to, to meet any new um, business challenges or things that they're looking to improve on um, within the curriculum that we've established for them. That sounds great. Sounds like you have a real opportunity to focus on the, the, the problems and the challenges that um, those organizations are facing and then that those learners are facing in that context, which obviously then will make that learning that happens that much more meaningful. Um, one of the other things I know from uh, talking with you earlier is that um, you've spent the last few years kind of reviving and reinvigorating um, some of your self-paced online learning. So would you talk a little bit about some of the, the changes that you've um, made in that area and, and what's driven some of those changes? Yeah, so we have um, spent quite a bit of time, probably a two to three year strategic plan we had around this, um, around really modernizing our core self-paced online courses, um, both from an instructional design perspective, but also um, making sure that we're incorporating multimedia and um, that they have a modern look uh, and feel to them. We want to keep our learners engaged. So um, we've we're pretty um, happy with the outcome. We've we've really made some progress um, in incorporating instructional design best practices like micro learning and gamification, scenario based learning and case studies. Really making the learning um, engaging, um, highly interactive, um, and you know hopefully it will improve the learning outcomes for the for the individual learner um, through making all those changes. So we're, we're very excited about that. Um, and then now that we have this sort of core curriculum established um, in the self-paced and, and we feel really, really good about the product that we've developed, um, we are beginning to look at even a, a newer format where we are developing courses um, in an online format, but I call it sort of the quick and dirty way of, of developing <laughs> e-learning because, you know, the the 
e-learning can be very costly and very time-consuming um, if you are using certain authoring tools um, and depending on the amount of content you want to cover. But um, we found that we need a format um, that's much more agile in approach um, because we have our, our industry so heavily regulated and regulations, especially globally, are changing. And so, you know, there's certain content that you would hold off putting in your traditional self-paced e-learning course because, you know, it's changing so often it's very difficult and costly to keep it updated. Um, so we've, we've worked on a new format um, where we're going to be streaming video but within an authoring tool. So it will still be um, self-paced and it will have some interactive elements, but the streaming video allows us um, to really push out some updated content um, anytime regulation changes. It's, it's very easy for us to update the pieces within it um, and also allows us to really focus on that micro-learning concept where you can break it into much smaller chunks within the course um, of streaming video and then interaction. Um, so that, that's really helpful. And although some of the traditional authoring tools, you can upload video, um, SCORM does not um, like, I would say, a lot of video um, when you're uploading it versus streaming um, because it, it can kind of bog down the format um, and, and make it difficult, um, especially for learners um, who might have bandwidth issues in other countries. So um, we spent quite a bit of time um, really trying to make sure that we had um, a streaming option to stream the video in. And so we're, we're really excited to be moving into that new format um, this year and really focusing uh, even more time and energy on it uh, coming in 2018. Well, great. And so, I mean, it, you said yourself that it's been, you know, a, a a work in progress for two or three years, that, that redeveloping of the core curriculum. Um, what do you know at this point in terms of kind of how it's being received, those changes that you've been made? Are you getting um, good feedback or, or, you know, what kind of evaluations or, um, are, do you have in place to, to understand the, the benefit that, that learners might be seeing from those changes that you've made? So we, we wanted to make sure we had really um, key measures in place to measure the difference um, so we're using a couple of different mechanisms. We're using um, pre-test and post-test scores um, connected with each of those core courses that are online. Um, and so we can actually measure the difference in scores pre and post. So, so we make sure we're accomplishing um, the learning objectives for the course. Um, and then also we're considering um, the net promoter score, um, which we're using as a measure um, in our evaluations. Um, and so we have data from before, and now we have data for the new courses. And, and we're very pleased at what, at what we're seeing um, and the results of both of those. That's great. That's great that you have the, the, the numbers to help prove what, what you went in thinking, which is that these would be um, a better uh, option for the learners. You know, you talked about it, I think, a little bit, or when you were getting into talking about the you know streaming video, which can be helpful for for learners in countries where bandwidth can be an issue. I mean, DIA is a global association, um, so you know maybe talk just a little bit about what you've noticed about dealing with learners um, outside the U.S. The extent that that there are differences that that have come up. 
So, there, of course, there's the instructional design piece. You know, they have different learning needs and preferences oftentimes um, regionally. So, so aside from those, one of the things that we've really sort of learned over time is that um, we really need to, to spend a lot of time testing um, any new learning technology implementation, um, whether that's, you know, a learning management system, a website, um, any kind of um, – SCORM course or, you know, any kind of learning technology as a whole and make sure that we do um, our homework before we implement it. We don't want to frustrate the learners in the, pro in the process of trying to, to get the information. So, and it can be a challenge. Um, you know, you, you try to anticipate as much as you can. Um, and we do, we spend a, we have a very supportive IT department that helps us um, to really test some of those um, and firewall bandwidth issues, things that sometimes you would have never thought um, can present some challenges when you launch something. So we really spend quite a bit of time in testing anything before we release anything new. And so when you're um, dealing with that testing, I do feel like testing can often be something that gets shortchanged in, in, the, in the rollout of, of any um, new, new product. But um, you mentioned you have a very supportive IT department, but then does a lot of that testing also fall within kind of the education function as well? Or, or how do you handle this, just the pure staffing of the, the testing work? Yeah, so we do spend, um, it is, we, it, we see the, the primary role falls within the education role. Um, and IT is sort of the supporting function and um, helps us um, anywhere, you know, as we need additional support, um, but we really take the testing on ourselves, and we have um, regional offices um, around the world, so we're oftentimes working with them as well when we, when we go to launch a course. Um, for instance, we, you know, we, we launched a course, and we noticed that the performance is a little slower um, for our customers in China, so we work with our China office um, to put some things up in a staging environment and do some, uh, some additional testing that the staff there was actually able to do for us and report back any challenges they had. Um, so we're hoping to catch those kind of things, um, working as a team together, um, both with IT and, uh, and the regional offices um, to, to, to catch them before we release anything like that. Great. So, you know, we've been talking pretty specifically about what, um, you know, DIA is doing and, and what you've been doing, some of the changes you're making. Um, if we pick up for just a little bit and kind of think more broadly about um, the major opportunities and threats that you see for, for DIA as a provider of, of learning. Um, what are those opportunities and those threats? And, um, and I'm thinking there may be some, some threats and opportunities that apply to other associations as well, but, but certainly interested in what you're seeing from DIA's perspective. So uh, one of the, I would say it's an opportunity and a challenge um, at the same time is just the rapidly changing learning environment, but also the rapidly changing regulations within our industry. Um, both of those things are challenges because um, it's changing so quickly. Um, so in terms of learning, trying to stay on top of new trends and test new ways of offering and new formats, new ways of offering learning um, is trying is sometimes challenging in terms of um, 
bandwidth and making sure that you um, are staying current. Um, but it can be a great opportunity if, you know, for there's so much changing on a regular basis and technology's added a whole nother sort of element to, to learning that you, that you have to stay on top of those trends as well. Um, but I, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there. And the same thing with the regulatory changes for us, um, sometimes you release a product and then almost as soon as you release it, something changed that, um, that was not expected in the regulations. Mm. And so sometimes you're, you're going back into something you just finished um, and you weren't really planning on modifying so soon, but just, you know, making sure that the, that the information is um, current and relevant um, for our learners um, sometimes is a challenge, but it's an opportunity as well. Um, it, it provides us a lot of opportunity for learning um, for our customers. And so if we keep kind of at uh, the big picture level, you know, when you think about what's going on in learning these days and some of these these changes that are happening in this fast-paced environment that you were just talking about, you know, is there a particular, um, you know, trend or change or, or something that's happening in learning that's really exciting to you and it could be something you're taking advantage of at, at DIA or could just be something out, out there more broadly in the learning landscape? So one of the things we're piloting this year, which we're we're very excited to be working on, is um, we're working with our LMS vendor, um, who's your membership learning, um, on a badging pilot to offer digital badging um, to a subset of our um, learners in a specific curriculum area. Um, and I, I think that's very exciting, um, and I hope that after the pilot, we'll be able to expand it to other uh, curricula as well. Um, but it it provides the opportunity for us to, to give the, the learner the ability to put out a visual representation of the skill or the knowledge that they've achieved um, through the professional development activities that they're taking. Um, but I, I really see that the, the higher level value with badging will be the stackable badges and the fact that, that those badges can provide sort of this professional development pathway for members. So it's not a one and done that they can see that they're building along the way um, and, and that there's a goal in mind. Um, so I, I really think that that is very exciting. The, the other thing that we've just started exploring um, and we're going to test it a little bit and see if um, it's, if it's a benefit for our, for our members is um, a subscription model. Mm. Um, you know, how can we, be flexible in allowing um, some other models other than your standard registration um, model for online courses, um, especially in terms of micro learning and maybe small segments of learning in a, you know, that might make sense more in a subscription model. Well, great. Yeah, I think both of those are very interesting, the, that subscription model to give um, learners sort of some some choice and also that sense of it's right not just the one and done but there's a a need for ongoing learning and to provide a, a mechanism for them to access that and then you mentioned that same thing too with the stacked credentials and and heading that route with the badges where again it it is this idea that everything's building and trying to help support them as they um, grow and adapt in this rapidly changing world and with all those regulatory changes um, so, so I think related to that, I mean, you know, you're diving into these things, uh, like badges, like, um, subscription models, you know, you're, you're making changes where you're, I'm guessing being taken out, um, of, of areas where you have direct experience and are kind of trying out new things. So 
I think this might tie into the, the next to last question that we always like to ask everyone who comes on the Leading Learning Podcast, which is, you know, how how do you keep up on your own lifelong learning? What do you do to make sure that you're um, keeping up with the, the latest trends and, and developments? So I, I, I spend a lot of time reading blogs, both learning and industry-specific blogs, um, to try and stay up to date um, and also staying connected on social media um, to, to sort of monitor for trends and changes. Um, I'm also a member of ATD, and so I find a lot of their webinars and courses are very helpful um, in this area. Um, and so those are the primary methods. Um, but as a, my learning team as a whole, um, we're, we're always sort of scouring, um, you know, blogs and, and social media um, to, to gather not only industry needs, but, but some new trends coming um, in learning and learning technology. And so um, we're always brainstorming and, and trying out new things um, just, to, just to stay current and, uh, and, and see sort of what sticks. Um, not everything's going to work, but it, we want to try new things. Well, that's great. So there's the what you can do on your own, and then there's that idea of um, the the, the peer based um, learning as well, where you're sharing and, and and helping each other. So the the last question I'll ask is just if learners want to know more about DIA, where would you have them go? And then also to the extent that you're open to it, how how can they connect with you? So our website has a, a lot of information about our publications and uh, training, as well as conferences and and um, our communities. Um, so they can go to diaglobal.org um, is our website. Um, and I'd be happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn um, who has questions or, or is just looking to connect um, as an informal social learning. Um, I, I, I would love that opportunity. Well, great. Thanks so much for your time today, Katie. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you very much. That wraps up our interview with Katie Hill. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks once again to your membership. You can find out more about your membership and all it offers at yourmembership.com. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 101. At that link, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the Leading Learning Podcast. And if you are getting value out of what you hear here, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be truly grateful if you would take just a minute to give us a rating and review on iTunes. It's very easy to do. You just have to go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes, and that'll put you in the right place. We'd really appreciate it because it lets us know that you value the podcast. And when there are reviews for a podcast, it also makes it easier for others to find it and understand the value it offers. And please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. That will give you some uh, pre-populated language to tweet out. Or if tweeting isn't your thing, just pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. <laughs>